kicking off a new series this morning called Fear Not. And uh, it's uh, this season and right now in our history, uh, there's a lot to be fearful of. Uh, We have uh, lots of different ways of finding out information and those that distribute the information use a lot of fear in order to get clicks and to get eyeballs and to get all those things. And so uh, as I've been shepherding over the last uh, decade or so, uh, I've noticed as we go along that, that people are much more fearful now than they were when I first started uh, in, uh, in ministry. And um, over all sorts of things, you know, all sorts of things. And, and there's a lot to be fearful of. Um, and, and it ranges from every single type of thing. I, I, I was at a party last night and a friend of mine was driving with his boss who has a new Tesla. And, uh, and they were driving up the 60, you know, as you kind of shortcut it uh, to Palm Springs instead of the 10, you know, the kind of the mountain winding roads. And the car was driving itself. And he was doing email and texting. And so, um, uh, you know, with the, what you have to do is you have to put your hand on the wheel a few times, like every few minutes so that the car knows you're, you're still inside, I guess. I don't know. I think there could be some other sensor that could sense that. But uh, um, anywho, uh, and so he, my friend was just saying, yeah, he, he would text and then he touched the wheel and then he texts and he touched the wheel. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, this is crazy. I'm like, yes, please, I'll take two of them. <laughs> like, I probably would have avoided my accident last uh, couple weeks ago if I had had that. You know? Could you believe that? Like, I would have done better if I had just been texting in a Tesla. That would have been... But, and so that, that stuff's kind of fun and we think about the future. But like, if you start to think it, if you're in manufacturing or you drive a forklift, or you're in some type of thing where all of a sudden now self-driving and self-moving and self-shipping can all take place, you start thinking about, well, what's the future of my job? What's the future of the job? So these, these things, even technology, which is so great at times, can have an element of fear. I use my phone now. My phone is my phone. It's my flashlight, okay? And I, this morning, I woke up, and I was finding my way around with my, with my phone. It's my map, okay? It's my, like, fitness trainer, you know? Uh, I, I use it for that. It's my information center. It's, it's all sorts of stuff for me. My phone is like every, and that, that's great, except now I have more access to more information, and more information can be overwhelming, can't it? I mean, you know, I, I just did a quick thing this morning. I just went on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever, the top four, and I just kind of just opened them to look. I don't usually go on them, and so I wanted to see, what should I be scared of this morning? Uh, there's a lot to be frightened of, actually, uh, and depending on which one you're reading, uh, you should be scared of the other people, I guess. I, don't, I, don't, I can never figure out who I'm supposed to be outraged at, but, uh, but there's, a lot, there's a lot going on. And it's, it's scary. Christmas is a scary time for a lot of different reasons. As Jeremy was alluding to as he prayed, you know, uh, Christmas is a time sometimes for, uh, for some of us of deep sadness because we've had loss in our life. And so we dread the Christmas season because it's just a reminder of who's not at the table 
For some of us, Christmas is terrifying because we know that no matter how much of a budget we set for Christmas shopping, this year, $500, not a penny more. I'm going to die on that hill. I'm, just, I'm not going to spend anything else, more than $500. That's how much we have. That's how much we're spending. And $2,500 later, <laughs> you're like, well, it, it, no, we can pay it over time. It'll be fine, you know. They're just little payments. Uh, and so we, we fear the finance. Maybe we fear, maybe, maybe we fear what we can't purchase at Christmas time. Or maybe Christmas is a time where you think to yourself, man, if I lose my job and there's stuff happening at your work, that's, that's scary. Maybe right now, uh, some of your relationships aren't doing that hot. And Christmas brings that extra level of tension to your most important relationships. And you feel like, man, I, I, I don't know if we can make it through one more Christmas. What I'm hoping to drive home today and next week, and next week, and next week, is this. That whatever you're afraid of, no matter what it is, and I know there's some big things to be afraid of out there, your health and all those things, God is greater than that. No matter what it is, God can meet you there. God has already has a solution. It might not be your solution. It might not be the way you wanted to take care of it, but God knows about it. And he's involved in it. It says in the Bible that when Jesus came, he was going to be called Emmanuel. And that just means God with us. No matter what your fear is, and they are real, I understand. God is bigger. God is bigger than what other nations are doing. God is bigger than the New York Stock Exchange. God is even bigger than a self-driving Tesla car. <laughs> He's bigger than all of it. And so the, the, the difficulty though, and what we're going to be wrestling over in the next four weeks is, okay, I can say that in my head. I know God is bigger. I know Jesus is with me. I know all that. How do I translate it into the actual removing of fear? Because the, the Bible says this, that perfect love casts out fear. And Jesus is the model of perfect love. And so how do I get this relationship with God real enough to where it takes away my fears? And so we're going to be looking at different characters um, in the Christmas story over the next four weeks that have been confronted by angels um, who basically always start out with this, fear not, fear not. And now the angel's talking about it from the standpoint of, I know you're frightened of me right now, the angel. And we'll, we'll see a, a very hilarious one in just a little bit. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that about the Bible. Oh, well. Anyway, um, but we'll see uh, Gabriel doing this very thing with a guy named Zechariah. But how do we transfer that fear not to where it's not just so that we're confronted with an angel, but we're confronted with something that would take our eyes off the living God who is now moving and he's active in your life, whether you see it or not. Just because God might be silent doesn't mean he's absent. And so how do we connect with that? And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. And 
If you know somebody at work or, you know, you kind of have your ears perked up, uh, this is just the intro week. Um, uh, next week, we'll be talking about an angel visiting Mary. Um, and so if you have someone at work that's fearful about some different things or you're in conversations and somebody says, I just don't, I just don't even know how to respond to this guy from North Korea or this or that or some disease that's going around or whatever, uh, invite them to church. Christmas is a wonderful time to invite people to church. Um, they, 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 most people will say yes if you, if you just get the nerve up to invite them. So uh, we're going to be looking at this great story of a guy named Zechariah and how he was confronted by an angel. And hopefully by the end, we're going to uh, be able to have some time to take our fears, whatever they are, and as we take communion at the end of service, uh, to be able to come up, and you'll have these little things here that you can write on, and so you can be thinking about it during the sermon. And it just simply says this, Lord, I give you my fear of, and you can just write something on there. You can write a sentence, you can write one word. Lord, I give you my fear of failure. I give you my fear of finances. I give you my fear of the future. Oh, those all start with F. That's all. I'm so good. Wow. I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking about that. Um, yeah. Um, so you can just write whatever you want on there. And then what you're going to do is you're just going to fold it up. You don't have to put your name on it or anything. You're just going to fold it up. And with your connection card, you'll put it in the box in the back. And we'll take those. And we're going to pray over these. So that this week, uh, as you're thinking about what you might be fearful of, uh, we can be praying that the Lord would begin to just chip away at those fears and begin to insert it with the reality that God is with you. So if you want, uh, you can turn your mobile device on to uh, Luke chapter 1. If you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to there, Luke chapter 1 verse 5. Um, if you have a cell phone that is not being used as a Bible, please silence it. Um, and so here we go. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, uh, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to a priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now this is really interesting. When you read the Bible and you see something like he was a priest, okay, if you're like me, the first thing I would think of is, okay, you've got the temple, and you kind of have your priests like you would in church. You know, the senior priests, the associate priests, the other priests, the people on staff, you know, kind of all that. And I would imagine to run the temple, there would, you know, probably be a pretty big staff of people. And you might have, uh, you know, you might have four, 30 priests, you know, 40, 40 priests. In fact, there were 18,000 priests, okay? And they were divided into 24 groups. And once a year or once every two years, a group would go for a week and do all the duties at the temple. So these were like almost like um, the National Guard, okay, of priests. There was just a lot. You would have your normal job. Maybe you um, own some property or whatever, but then you'd say, you know, my week's going to be coming up. I have to get some time off. I got to figure it out. And you would go as a group to the temple and you'd perform all the temple duties for the high priest and some of the ones that were, you know, kind of more full-time priests. 
So it was a big deal. It was very uh, honoring, and, and they needed a lot of people to be able to do that, handle the sacrifices and handle all these kind of things, because a lot of people would come from all around to the temple to worship God there. And so Zechariah was one of these 18,000 in one of these little groups. And his wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the very first priest. And so you have this, almost this power couple, if you will, as far as it relates to religion. She's a descendant of Aaron, which to you and I doesn't mean much, but to them would be a very big deal. Jesus was a descendant of David. Your, your heritage meant a lot more than uh, it does necessarily right now, just depending on your culture. And so, um, so Elizabeth was as a descendant of Aaron, and Zechariah was a priest in, in one of these things. So they were, they were kind of important. And it goes on to say, and this is... Very interesting as well. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Observing all the Lord's commands and creeds blamelessly. Your homework for this week is to read Leviticus and see what your life would have to look like for you to obey all of those laws blamelessly. Right? I am so glad we're in an era of grace. Okay? I'm just very thankful. Uh, and so this, this was them. So you'd think if you have this power couple, you know, descendant of Aaron, he's a priest, he's using his own time to help the, you know, they're sacrificing uh, all these things that uh, you'd think that if they were, and they were walking blamelessly and God saw them as righteous, you'd think that God would bless them. You'd think they'd have nothing to worry about. You'd think they wouldn't be going through any, they wouldn't have any problems. Have you ever had something go wrong in your life and you just shook your head and you said, yep, I knew it was coming. It's because I've been bad. <laughs> now, some of our mistakes, yes, it was because you were bad. <laughs> That's right. And you can't rob stores like that. So you, you don't, don't do that. But have you ever had just times in your life where things are like one bad thing is happening after another and it says, bam, 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 bam. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, Lord, I, I give up. If it's, if it's, you just don't want me to, you know, uh, watch Premier League soccer anymore? I won't, okay? If that's what it is, I don't know what it is, but you, you, you tied it. And we, 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 have, we all have this ingrained into us as adults, as humans, as kids, as whatever, of saying, yeah, if things are going bad for me, God must not be that happy with me. Because if God was happy with me, then things would be going well. Unfortunately, there's an entire Bible that doesn't come to that conclusion. Because <laughs> here's what happened. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, if you've never known anybody or maybe you've been that person who wanted to have kids and could not have kids and you've tried all sorts of different stuff and now we have much more that we can try than they did, of course. You know the heartache of that. You know the pain, the frustration. You know verses in the Bible that say the Lord opens the womb and closes the womb and so you, got, you have this theology of going, why can't we have a kid? And, it's, and it can be devastating and it can be even more devastating when there is a pregnancy and then the baby is lost and then there's another one and then it just seems to compound onto that. I think about Zechariah and Elizabeth 
going through those similar things. Although for them, it was even one more thing that was difficult. Because at that time, in that culture, it was believed that if you had lots of children, then that means you were being blessed by God. And if you didn't have any children, you were being cursed by God. And that's why I just love what Luke writes here, to make sure every reader knows, every reader knows They were righteous and they lived blamelessly. So don't you dare connect their lack of children with their relationship with their heavenly father. And so, uh, but the reality was they didn't have children. And so in their community, there'd be murmurings. There'd be little things like, man, everything looks great on the outside. I wonder wonder what they're hiding. I wonder what they, uh, you know, what they've done to God. And it gets even worse. They were both very old. And so, what was expectations in their 20s and thinking, well, it's okay. It's just, just the pregnancy hasn't taken yet or, you know, you know, whatever. I don't know what their science was back then and how you know. And, you know, was it a pink dot or a blue dot? I doubt they had that. Um, <laughs> right? But you know, just going through this process and am I pregnant and are we and that's your 20s and then you head into your 30s and it's like, man, this window's closing. It's closing. And yet, through that, obedience, obedience, obedience to God, blameless, righteous in God's eyes. They just keep going, their 30s. They hit their 40s and Maybe they'll latch on to a couple stories of some people they might have known in the community that got pregnant in their 40s, but that would be rare. And, and so then, so I don't know what very old is. It might be 50, in which case I'm very old. Okay. And I do not want any more children. Okay. So this is where, this is where Luke ends with them. This is, he sets the stage. This is this couple, this blameless couple that loves God and God loves them. And yet there's something missing in their lives. So it goes on once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. And so here's, here he goes. He, the, he, he gets his, his, his shot to go and work at the temple. Uh, kind of like I said, like his, um, you know, if he's part of the National Guard. He's been called up, if you will, to go do this. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the ta- temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, again, it's so difficult for us in 20th century America. Are we in 20th or 21st century? Yeah, and, or 20th, either one. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's so hard for us to grasp what this would feel like. Like, like you, you get to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, which you were not allowed to go in ever. And you get to go in and you get to light incense. And what this incense does is it fills the Holy of Holies with this fragrance. And then those who are outside worshiping and praying, they see the smoke of the incense and they pray. And it's like, it's like a visual and, a, and, 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 a, and, and, and smells of like my prayers are reaching up to God. It's like a, this beautiful thing. And you get to go into the Holy of Holies and light the incense. 
And this is so important that they choose them by lot. And if you ever get chosen, and out of the 18,000, very few were. If you, if you were chosen, you could never do it again the rest of your life. You were off the list. I don't know how they kept a list like that. And I don't know how searchable their database was. Because that would be very difficult. However, they knew. And you were off the list. You had one shot. <laughs> so... You go into the Holy of Holies and you first have this, like, can you imagine? Like, they believe that that's where God lived. Like, like Zechariah would never be closer to God in his life than at that point. Where he, I don't know if he, like, lights a match and is like, oh man, don't blow this, dude, don't blow this. I don't know how many matches he had. I don't know. I always put myself in the person's position of just like, what would that be like to have this honor? Like, when your name is called and you're thinking, man, I, this is amazing. And so, when the time for burning incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. They're waiting for Zechariah to light this incense. So that they could pray and there would be this visual of worshiping God and being connected with God. And here's what happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. A couple things I notice in this verse. Um, I love it when the Bible gives you detail that doesn't really matter. <laughs> like who cares if he's on the right side or the left side? But you just get this sense that now I can begin to paint this picture in my mind. In the Holy of Holies, standing with my match, <laughs> and there's an angel. And I don't know if it was the right side of the temple from the angel's perspective or from Zechariah's perspective. I have no idea. But this is, this is the scene. You go into the Holy of Holies. You're scared to death that you're going to blow it. You're scared to death because you don't know if God's in there. And you're trying to go through your week. To try to think, did I ever get angry at anyone? Did I ask for forgiveness for that? I wonder if I, I'm going to go see God. I've been, you know, that one thought, actually, I want to take that one back. Can I do that now? Or what? You know, you're going into the situation. And here this angel comes. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. Hmm, you think? Just a little bit. And was gripped with fear. Now, angels, as I've mentioned before, go to angel school. And... Uh, the very first class an angel takes in angel school is how to walk up on a human, okay? And the very first chapter of that book for that class is the do not be afraid chapter. Because for some reason, uh, humans are deathly afraid of angels. And so Gabriel, who happened to be a really good angel, he went to that class, aced it, uh, uh, knew exactly what to do. And so the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. This is one of the first parts about not being afraid. As you write down whatever it is that you want to write down, and not everybody has to participate. But as you think about your fear, what's your fear? Not being employed? Is it a health issue? Is it your finances? Is it a meeting you're going to have tomorrow at work? Is it a meeting that you weren't invited to tomorrow at work that you're worried about? <laughs> what, what, is, what is it? Because the, the, the first step 
And getting rid of these fears, to have perfect love cast out fear, to have Emmanuel, God with us, uh, um, moving our fear away, is to understand this, that God hears your prayer. It doesn't mean he acts right away. It doesn't mean that he solves it in the way you would have him solved it. But he hears, he listens, he knows, and he hears. And Gabriel says, right after do not be afraid, he says, God has heard you. Do you know that when you pray, God hears you? Do you know that he listens? Do you know that he knows you? Do you know that he knows what's good for you better than you know what's good for you? I know that's impossible to understand. I don't know why I haven't won the lottery yet. I probably should start playing. But I think if he's good enough, he would just give me a scratcher already scratched off. I don't even need to go buy one. He hears and he knows What's better for you than you know? And so this is just such a sweet thing. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. That's a pretty good name. Uh, <laughs> if I were an angel, I would pick John as a, as a good, good name to give the power couple. Now, here's the fascinating thing to me about the next verse. Because you, you guys are all smart and you know the story. This, this John is going to grow up to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to go before Jesus, declaring the way with a message that basically says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He has a really, really important message. Okay? John does. Like, he's the one who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, his cousin Jesus. That is a big deal, a very big deal. And, so, and, and, and the fact of the matter is that God has not been, uh, he's been silent but not absent for the last 400 years. Nobody's heard from God for 400 years. And so there's just, just been this silence. So the, the, the Old Testament has been written. There, it's there. There's been no prophets, no nothing. It's just 400 years of silence. God hasn't spoken. And God chooses this moment with this couple at this time to fulfill his work. And do you know what the next sentence is, he says to Zechariah? This is so sweet, and, and, and you've got to see this because this might be the word that God has for you. He says, you will call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Now, he's going to go talk about how great his ministry is, but that even when it's the, one of the biggest things that could happen... You give birth to John the Baptist. God cares about what a little two-year-old boy running around your house is going to look like. What John the Baptist is like when he's seven. He's going to be a joy and a delight to you. It's not just about, I have something I need to accomplish, and I'm going to use you to do it. And so hurry up, have the kid. Get him, you know, figured out, and then we'll get him into the wilderness where he eats locusts and honey. That's what we got to, we got to get this done. Chop, chop, let's go. That God actually cared about Zechariah and Elizabeth and said, not only are you going to give birth to John the Baptist, but he's going to be a joy for you. 
He's going to be a joy to the village, you know, the place where you're at. Many are going to rejoice. And they're going to look at you guys and say, wow, God is so good. I'm here to tell you, I, I know, I know what it feels like to fear. And I know you just want the fear to go away. You know, you just, you just want it to be solved. And, you know, Kim, just, but there's a process of Emmanuel, God with you, that you can't miss during the time before from the promise to before the fulfillment. There's a gap there that God doesn't want you to miss where there's joys and delights and difficulties. I don't think John the Baptist, reading about what he was like in his 30s, I'm sure he was a handful at times. You know? It's like, you know, more locusts. I don't know. I don't know what, how, where he got that from. But. but isn't that sweet that even when God wants to do this incredible thing. He cares about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then he goes on to exactly what's happening. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented uh, drink. He was basically becoming, he's taking a Nazarite vow. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Wouldn't that be cool? We'll read about that in a little bit too. He will bring back many people of Israel to their Lord, to, uh, to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom uh, of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now when I read that, I think, wham, wow. And yet, Gabriel inserts this little thing. He'll be a joy and delight. I love it. Do not miss Emmanuel, God with you, if you are between the promise and the fulfillment. Because God's not going to miss that. So Zechariah does what any dude would do. I can't speak for the ladies, but I can speak for at least myself as a middle-aged white male. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? (laughs) Now, before we get all bent out of shape and say, well, Zachariah, you're so stupid, right? I would really want to know. <laughs> like, I'd be like, listen, I got to go home and I got to tell my wife that we're going to have a kid. So could you give me something like a little, maybe a ticket or something that is, I can, or maybe you could go talk to her after here. You could just jam over there and then talk to her and let her know, right? He says, I'm, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. You see that? That's how you know they were married, right? Right? He didn't say like, I'm an old man and she's ancient. Oh my goodness. He like stopped himself. He, got, he's, he was blameless. He was righteous man, right? So he says, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. She's, she's in, at least in her 38, 30s. And here's, what, here's, how, here's, how, here's the answer to the question. Remember the question. How can I be sure of this? Here's the answer. I'm Gabriel. Like, I like I have a, like, I'm, I'm Gabriel. Like, like, you just got visited by an angel in the Holy of Holies when you're supposed to be lighting incense. Like, what? Like, he doesn't say, oh, here, and here's, here's a sign unto you. He's like, I'm the sign. Like, this is it. Like, this is all we had. This is all we discussed up there, right? 
Okay, it was just go down and the person believes. I haven't gotten to Angel 401 yet, but I'm just telling you, it's, you're supposed to believe. I'm, I'm Gabriel. I love it. And so he says, I stand in the presence of God, dude. Like, come on. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And apparently, I've wasted my time. So I don't know if God and Gabriel had this all planned out beforehand. Like if Gabriel's like, well, what if he doesn't believe? Well, then we're going to do this. Or if Gabriel just was like, bump this. Okay? And he, this is what he says. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Right? Because you did not believe my words, which will come true after a point of time. Like he doesn't even tell him when. He just says, you're going to be silent. To which I don't know if, if Zechariah was just like, wait, hold on. <laughs> you know, if it's like mid-sentence or like a cat got your tongue or like, I have no idea how this played out, but it happened. Gabriel, for some reason, maybe he worked it out with God before. So here's what happens later. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in the temple uh, so long in the temple, right? Because you're just like, Dude, we gave you one job to do. <laughs> Light the incense. That's all you have to do. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. The Bible is hilarious. You have to read your Bible. Think about that. He walks out, and they're like, dude, what, where have you been? He's like, What? You can't talk? You saw a vision? A vision of what? <laughs> a pterodactyl is in the Holy of Holies. That, that's, that's what you saw? Like, you know, and that, that whole thing of just like, how do, you, how do you go through this process? Because from the, from the promise to the fulfillment is just life. It's just life. You know, it, it, you, you feel like, man, God, I, I really want this thing. I'm, I'm fearful. I, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And God says, do not be afraid. Emmanuel, God is with you. I'm bigger than that. I can take care of that. But between the promise and the fulfillment is just God working. It's just joys and delights and difficulties. So when the time of his service was completed, he returned home. <laughs> Which again. So here's what, okay. Those of you who are men who are married. Imagine this. You're on your way home. And you have to write a note because you can't talk. And you realize that you're not going to be able to talk until you have a baby. Okay. So you go home and you write a note and it says something like, can't talk right now, let's go to bed. <laughs> like, and your wife is like, this is so typical of you, you know. <laughs> and you're trying to explain to her that no, you saw a vision from God. Like this is like God is like saying this. And she's like, you've used that so many times. <laughs> like this is, this is like the thing. So you have this note. On the other side of the note it says, and by the way, what's for dinner? You know, because it's been a really long trip. But this is it. This is between life, between the promise and the fulfillment is life. Of stuff that just happens. 
And God wants to be with you in those moments as you struggle and stumble and wait for that promise to be fulfilled or wait for that thing to be resolved or wait for that fear to be taken away. Emmanuel, God is with you even now. Now this is cool. After this, his wife became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. I can imagine that. There's probably been a lot of heartache with this couple. And they didn't want to just declare something and just to have their, everything to be dashed on the rocks. And so she stays in, conclu- in, in, in uh, seclusion. And she has this little prayer. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so Gabriel leaves the Holy of Holies. Elizabeth is pregnant. Zechariah has four more months to go of silence. (laughs) Right? And look what Gabriel does. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We're gonna pick that up uh, next week. But as Adjua comes back up, we're going to do a a number of things uh, like I talked about. Uh, One is we're going to take communion. And um, it's just, I I love the idea of taking communion in the first week of a Christmas uh, series because it reminds us why he is king, why we celebrate him coming. That he came as Emmanuel, God with us. And he had this ministry. He spent 33 years on this earth living and stubbing his toe and going through all that. And he was tempted just as we were. And he, he's this incredible sacrifice for our sins. And so we celebrate that when we celebrate communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, long after this had taken place, 33, 34 years later, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. It was the Passover uh, uh, dinner, which represented salvation and represented um, uh, release from bondage. And he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my uh, my uh, body, which has been broken for you. Whenever you take and eat of this, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he gave thanks for that. And he said, this is my blood which has been poured out for the remission of sins. Whenever you drink of this, remember me. And so this morning as we kick off Christmas, and we think about some of the fears that we might be facing, maybe some that we write down on our piece of paper. We say, Lord, today I give you my fear of that Christ's coming and his death and his resurrection means that we do not have to fear anything no matter how terrible it is, that he has conquered sin and death. The Bible says it this way, if God is for us, who who can be against us? 